Well, it's great to have you here uh, for another week in this series that we're calling Shift. Uh, we're studying the book of Philippians together, and if you've got your own Bible and you want to turn there right now, uh, we're going to be in Philippians 2 today. We're spending four weeks reading through the book of Philippians together, and uh, I'll just tell you that on Sunday mornings we're going to hit just some of the high points uh, over these next few weeks, but what I want to do is I want to encourage you on your own uh, to spend some time with the book of Philippians. Uh, Maybe even this week, just kind of make a commitment. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read chapter two every day this week. Or, you know, if you're really ambitious, you can sit down and in 15, 20 minutes, you can read each of the four chapters. Maybe do that every day. Maybe do that, you know, all week long and just, you know, just kind of ask God, hey, God, what do you want to speak to me today? I mean, what is it that you want to bring alive out of these words? And maybe what does that look like to apply that uh, to my life or maybe to a particular uh, situation? Um, Jenny, my wife's Jenny, and uh, this past week we were up really, really early one morning. And uh, we were both sitting on the couch. And she was on one side of the couch reading her Bible, and I was on the other side of the couch reading my Bible. Now, before you put us on a pedestal, like I wish we were that good, but we're not. I promise you we don't do that every day. But we were sitting there, and I kind of turned to her, and I said, well, what are you reading and she said, I'm reading Philippians, my pastor told me to. And uh, I, just, I just thought that was pretty sweet. But uh, again, we're in this series in Philippians, we're calling it Shift. And what we're asking God to do is we're asking Him to change our perspective. You know, because as followers of Jesus today, you know, we need right perspective. And no matter the situation or the circumstances or the events of your life, I mean, what is it to have that right perspective? Uh, Philippians is all about a mind shift of sorts, kind of in the way we see things, a change in the way that you look at the things that are going on around you. Now, I, I don't know about you all, but I love any time I find out something new or a new way of doing things, you know, where I'm able to say, you know, man, I never thought of something like that before. I never looked at it like that. Where a piece of information, you know, it kind of changes my perspective. You know, I'd call it like having a mind shift. You know, when my actually my mind moves from thinking about something one way and I'm able to see it a, a totally different way. Let, let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, Jenny and I, a few years ago, uh, we, we had a mind shift of sorts when it came to our finances. And, and for Jenny and I, we've always been you know, pretty organized, uh, very careful with our money. I mean, we did everything to avoid any sort of debt. Um, we didn't really have a, a budget or an intentional plan. It was kind of like an internal budget. I mean, again, we just kind of always knew what was going on. Uh, and again, we avoided the debt, but we went through Financial Peace University here at Genesis, and it's one of the great ministries that we offer. And FPU has provided some great tools, uh, new perspective. And four years later, we're mostly a cash kind of a family today. And we tell our money where to go every month. And it took practice and it took discipline and it took hard work, but it works for us. And we've got more, pardon the phrase, financial peace, you know, than we've ever had before. But it took a shift in our thinking and it took a shift uh, in our practice to get there. Uh, I I was just thinking about the, the mind shift, the transition of sorts that we've been in as a church especially if you've been around here for a while, that we're now one church in two locations. And and it's been challenging. And I know it's been challenging for some of you. It's been challenging for me. Uh, It's been challenging for our staff. You know, it's been... uh, 
a, a change, you know, when you start thinking about the idea that a church doesn't necessarily have to mean a bigger building, which, again, there's nothing wrong with that. Or, you know, if you've come from a church where there was always one worship service, you know, just this idea that we can launch new campuses and we can plant new churches and, and we can start new services. We can change service times. Again, it, it's a challenge. It, it's a mind shift of sorts. Well, today I want to continue looking at the book of Philippians with you. And as we do together, I want you to try and understand what it means for you and me to look at some of the ups and downs of life, the events, the circumstances, maybe that are in your life right now, even today, but to see them in a whole new way. So before we look at some verses together, again, let me just kind of review very quickly the context of Philippians first, because it's so important, because in case you missed last week, uh, Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church, to the people living in Philippi. Now, Paul planted this church in Philippi around 52 AD, and many people believe that the church in Philippi was his favorite church of all of the churches that he planted. And it wasn't because they had the coolest building or, you know, the best band or, you know, they served donuts rather than bagels or anything like that. But they cared about Paul and he cared about them too. And they were very generous. In fact, they had given him this generous financial gift. And in return, Paul sent them this letter. And so Philippians is kind of like one big thank you note. And Paul's writing this from prison. And you got to see that. You have to be reminded that over and over again. He's in prison in Rome writing to these people, writing to this church in Philippi. And if you read through all four chapters of Philippians, you're going to see at least 16 different references to the mind. You know, Paul not only does it in Philippians, but he does it all throughout the New Testament too. He's going to talk about how we think and what we remember and about our attitude. And again today, what I want to look at, what I want to talk to you about is a different way of thinking kind of a change in attitude, a shift in the way that you see things. So let's pick it up in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Uh, here's what Paul writes. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one Mind. Notice that word mind there. I mean, if you had to pick one word uh, as a key word from the book of Philippians, it's really the word joy. And we talked about that. We introduced that a little bit last week. Uh, joy doesn't mean happiness, all right? Because happiness is based on our circumstances. It's based on anything and everything that's going on on any particular day or in any given week. Happiness is something that comes and goes, but joy is different. Uh, joy rises above our circumstances. Joy keeps us balanced no matter what's happening. Joy is something God puts in your heart. I mean, it's, it's a gift from Him. It's a work that God can do in you. It, it's peace and contentment that is only found in a foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, notice that Paul says, make my joy complete. And then he says, by being like-minded. Now, hang on to that combination of words for just a second. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, here's what Paul knew. Paul knew that the church in Philippi was experiencing some uh, division. There, there was some tension going on there. There was some fighting going on there about anything and everything. And, and so Paul writes this letter as a way of saying thank you, but it also is the opportunity to encourage them. And, and there's a little Greek word that Paul uses here in verse 2. Uh, it's the combo word that I referred to just a second ago. It's the word like-minded. 
All right, in most translations, you might find it as like-minded, or it's the Greek word phroneo. Uh, it literally means to set your affection on, to, to think on these things, to be single-minded. Paul says, hey, don't be divided. I want you to be like-minded and to think on similar things. Now, this word phroneo here in verse 2 is the same word translated as attitude in verse 5. Now, we'll see that in just a second. But Paul says to his friends, hey, I want you to have the same mind, the mind of Christ, the same attitude as of Jesus. And then he's going to say in verse 5, your attitude should be like that of Jesus Christ. Now, why does this matter? Well, well, Paul knows, Paul realizes that our thinking and our thought processes have a lot to do with our perspective. The way that we see things. I mean, and there are all sorts of scriptures all throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, that talks about the importance of your mind and how you think. Uh, For instance, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We've got the verse for you here on the screen. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There it is. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, as Christians, you and I are called to to live differently, to think differently than the rest of the world. I mean, you can't give your life to Jesus Christ and stay the same. I mean, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, this this process of transformation that Paul refers to, it it starts. It, It continues on until the day that Jesus Christ returns or until God takes you away from this earth. God wants to transform you. He he wants to transform me from the inside out. And Paul says that sort of change, that sort of thinking begins in your mind. You know, it starts in your mind. It's where all of our thoughts and actions begin. Then he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Now notice this last part. And we take every thought captive, every thought, uh, and make it obedient to Christ. Again, why does Paul focus on the mind so much? Well, because the mind has all of these analytic sort of abilities. I mean, your mind creates reasons. And justifies actions. It harbors suspicions. It it advocates fighting and and certain rights. I mean, a bad attitude will foster, will give way to resentment. But here's what right thinking looks like according to Paul. Over in Philippians 4, 8. We'll look at this verse in a couple of weeks together. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. And then he says, think about such things. I mean, Paul knew, he realized that a person's thoughts determine who that person is, his or her attitudes, and how he or she will react towards someone else. Paul says, hey, so think about the right things. This is why I just have to say, I believe it's so important for you and me to read your Bible. That you take time and, boy, to make it a practice every day to spend some time reading your Bible because what you take in is going to affect what goes out. And, and when, we, when we look to something like our Bibles and say, you know what, I'm going to lean on that and I want that truth in me, then that's what's going to come out of us. And, you know, as we get into 2013, and we'll talk about this in the weeks to come, we're going to put a challenge out in front of everyone, and that is to read through your Bible in a year. To just do that together. We're going to do that here on Sunday mornings. And a lot of our teaching is going to come right out of that sort of a plan of just reading our Bibles together and just saying, you know what, this is what I want coming in and this is what I want going out. And that's what, that's what Paul's getting at here, that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think on these things. 
Here's a mind shift for some of you today because some of you think that where you are right now, that's all you're ever going to be, that nothing's ever going to change. If you're taking notes, write this down. Um, I'm going to give you some mind shifts to be thinking about. Mind shift number one is this, that how you think determines what you become. It, It plays a big part. How you think determines what you become. Now, look at it like this. Suppose some of you might say, hey, I want to I become a great basketball player. That's what I want to do. I want to be a great basketball player. Well, I would think that the way, say that the way you think and the way that you practice will have a lot to do with what you develop into. Look, look at it like this. For me, the greatest basketball player that ever lived, at least for my generation, was Michael Jordan. All right? I mean, the best. Now, for some of you Pacers fans, you'd say, no, it was Reggie Miller, but I'd say it all comes down to the rings, guys. You know, I mean, it's all about the bling, and and Michael's got a lot of it. Now, uh, I I would say that if you want to be a great basketball player, I mean, there is something about learning to think the way that Michael thought. You know, there is something about practicing the way that Michael practiced. Now, I wouldn't say go imitate Michael Jordan because chances are you don't have the physical abilities and you don't have the height. Uh, you know, I certainly don't stick out your tongue, you know, when you play or you might bite it off. Uh, you know, that's not going to get it done. But you can learn to think and to practice like somebody, like a Michael or a great attitude. I mean, a, a, a great athlete. As a Christian, how you think will say a lot about what you become and where you go from here. Now, how did Paul think? Well, everything for Paul was about Jesus. That's the foundation. That's the substance. I mean, what did he say in Philippians 1.21? We looked at this last week. He said, hey, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That verse was on our video just a moment ago. You know, Paul was in prison. He knew that he could be free tomorrow. He also knew that he could be executed tomorrow. But his attitude was this. If I live great, you know, I'll live for Jesus. But if I die, I die because I'll go live with him. I mean, that's his attitude for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Again, this is his way of thinking. This is his attitude. He's trying to have the mind of Christ, of Jesus in all things. And so when he challenges the people in Philippians to be like-minded, he's not saying that they have to agree on everything. That's not what he's getting at. Paul's challenge to the believers is this. He's challenging them and he's challenging people like you and me to have the mind of Christ, to to think like Jesus. This is what it means for God's people to be like-minded. How you think will say a lot about what you become and where you go from here. Now, here's a second mind shift. If you think like Jesus thought, you can learn to live like Jesus lived. I mean, with practice. If you think like Jesus thought, you can learn to live like Jesus lived. I mean, if you live your life to please God, if you take on the nature of a servant in anything, in everything, and if you live your life empowered by the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in you, you can actually live like Jesus lived. Now, some of you would say, no way. Uh, it's never going to happen. I mean, who I am, this is my DNA. These are my genes. I mean, this is who I am forever. Have you ever heard the name uh, Roger Bannister? Uh, Roger Bannister, picture of him here for years. Humans tried to run the mile in less than four minutes. And most people, including scientists, thought that it was physically impossible, that the human bone structure wasn't right, that there was too much wind resistance, that a person's lungs or a person's heart would never enable them to do something like this. In fact, the Greeks would would even have lions chase runners as a way of speeding them up to see if they could break this four-minute mile. But it was assumed to be a physical impossibility. But all that changed on May 6, 1954. Roger Bannister ran the mile in 3 minutes and 59 seconds, again becoming the first person ever recorded to run the mile in less than 4 minutes. But what Bannister did on the track was nothing compared to what Bannister did in people's minds because the next year, 37 people broke the 4-minute mile. 
And the year after that, 300, over 300 people ran a mile in less than four minutes. So what changed? I mean, were these, these great advancements in science or in medicine in a short period of time? No. All these great updates to equipment or track, uh, tracks that enabled these athletes to run faster? No. I mean, what change was in people's minds? It was their attitude. I mean, seeing that the four-minute mile was possible opened up the possibilities that it could be done by so many others even today. I mean, how you think says a lot about what you will become. I mean, if you think like Jesus thought, you can live like Jesus lived. Now, Jesus had one goal. Jesus had one goal in life, and it was to bring glory to his Father in heaven, to please God, but it was also to love people. In fact, when people asked him about his mission in life, he responded this way in Luke ten twenty seven. He said, hey, here's what I do. Here's what I live for. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. There's the word mind again. And then he says, and love neighbor as your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was all about pleasing God and about bringing glory to his Father in heaven. But notice, in addition to loving God, he was about loving people, loving others too. In fact, Jesus called this the greatest commandment. And to summarize it, it's just simply this. Jesus came to love God and he lived his life to love others. And that's the principle that Paul is teaching and directing us in here in Philippians. He says, hey, be like-minded. Don't think the way the world thinks. Think on these things and let your minds be renewed and transformed. Think like Jesus thought. Love God in everything and love people all along the way. And this is how Jesus lived. He continues in verse 3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Uh, how, how many of you would say that by nature you're a selfish person? Okay, when you're honest, all right? Like 12 of us, all right? And the others got an elbow, like, get your hand up. You are so selfish. But uh, I'd like to think that by nature I'm pretty unselfish, but... There's a problem with that. How many of you like French fries? Any French fry fans in the room? All right, we all love French fries. I I like French fries from lots of different places. But in my mind, there's nothing better than that waffle fry creation that Chick-fil-A has developed. All right? And and even as I say it, I know your your mouths are watering. They're not open today. All right? You always want Chick-fil-A to be open on Sunday, and they're just not going to do it. All right? But we love the waffle fries. So I love the waffle fries. And it's kind of like this. So my family, we eat there often. Let's just say we go there. I'll do the unselfish thing and I'll pass out everyone else's food first. The selfish side of me, though, is really working in this sort of a way that while I'm passing out everyone else's waffle fries, there are always the spillover in the bag, you know? And so while it might look like that I'm being unselfish, you know, so what? I might bump a couple of containers as I'm taking them out, you know, just because, you know, I don't want them falling on the floor, on the table or anything, you know? And and so I'd like to think that I'm unselfish, but there are these selfish sort of ways that come out of me. Paul says, in humility, value others above yourselves. Certainly doesn't apply to waffle fries. Um, But that word humility means modesty, It means a lowliness in mind. As far as our living for God in the world, the humility that Paul describes is a humility that involves a true perspective of my position in relation to God. Humility is a healthy respect for who God is, that he's God and I'm not. And that's not a position that belongs to me. I'm a sinner saved by grace 
thanks to Jesus Christ. And because I'm saved, and for those of you that know Jesus Christ and have trusted Him as your Lord and Savior, you know, you've got this great place and this great role in the kingdom of God. You've got a purpose, and God has a plan for your life and for my life, which leads to this next verse. You know, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, verse 5, Paul says, your attitude, again, that's the Greek word phroneo. He's talking about this like-mindedness. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Period. I mean, if there was any confusion at all over what it means to live humbly or to look to others' needs first, Paul couldn't be clearer in his challenge for every single one of his followers. You know, Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's perspective. I mean, that's a change in the way that maybe you've been seeing or thinking about some of those events or circumstances of your life right now. Because can you ask yourself, is my attitude reflecting that of Jesus Christ. Now, what's attitude? Well, attitude makes all the difference. I mean, attitude completely changes the trajectory of things. I mean, your attitude is your thoughts. It's training your brain to think in a certain way. Paul says you can have a right attitude. You can have a Christ-like attitude. You can change the way you see things. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, again, maybe you're here today and you say, no way. I mean, I'll try or... There are certain areas of my life where I'm willing to take on the attitude of Jesus Christ, but not in anything and everything. Or maybe just say, you know, it's not even possible. I'm not going to get there. Well, the Apostle Paul didn't see it this way. I mean, when you have the Spirit of God in you, what he realizes, what he's sharing with us is, hey, you don't have to be a slave to your present attitude. You can change. You don't have to settle for your attitude or even your thinking or the actions that are coming from it even today. Let me give you an example. Um, I could choose to allow politics and some of the trends and decisions that I see going on in our country and our government today to really, really sour me. I could do that. Um, I am someone who could so easily get wrapped up into anything and everything political right now in our world and to allow it to negatively impact every part of who I am. For instance, I like to listen to talk radio. I do. I like to listen to conservative talk radio. Now, do I agree with everything? Absolutely not. But I like to listen to it. And do you know what I've learned along the way? I've learned that liberal or conservative, it's a lot of garbage at times. And I have to turn it off because my mind doesn't need it. And sometimes I turn it off for weeks at a time, especially as we got closer to this present election, this recent election. Now, am I saying that what's going on in the world today doesn't matter? No, I'm not saying that at all. Am I saying that Christians shouldn't be active, shouldn't have a voice, or be passionate about some of the things that are happening around us right now? No, I'm not saying that. Is it possible that it will get more and more difficult to live for Christ, for people like you and me and for our churches in America today? Yeah, I believe so. I believe it's already happening around us, and I think most of us could agree with that. But do my passions and my thoughts and my frustrations give me permission to go out in public and to things like social media and say hateful, irresponsible, and harmful things about politicians or others who may not agree with me? Absolutely not. Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus in anything and everything. And if I'm not careful, all right, the sinful side of me the flesh side of me can easily influence and overtake my attitude. And when I'm not thinking correctly, wrong actions will follow. Paul says that my attitude and your attitude should reflect the attitude of Jesus in everything. 
And because I've got the Spirit of God in me, because I've got His presence in my life, and many of you do here too, I don't have to be slave to a wrong attitude. God can give you, and He can give me the attitude of Jesus, and He can give you the ability to think like Jesus thought. And He says we don't have to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. He says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then He continues in verse 6. And he's talking about Jesus here. He says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Here's a third mind shift for you today. It's not about me. It's about him. In everything. It's not about me. It's about him. Here's what the world's selling. The world's saying it's all about you. The world's saying it's about what you deserve, about what you want and what you need. You've got to be great. It's about how many Facebook friends you have or whether or not you have an iPhone. That's what the world sells us. That's the world's perspective. But here's the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ says it's not about me. It never has been and it never will be, but it's about him. It's not about self-promotion, but it's about self-abandonment. And in verse 6, Paul says that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That word used is also translated as the word grasped in other places. It means to rob, to plunder, or to rape. And it's what Lucifer tried to do in the Old Testament. He wanted to be like God. It's what the serpent was doing with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden with this false promise when he said, you can be like God. That's what it really comes down to. More often than not, you and I trying to be like God. I can't think of how how many times during my week in any and every situation that I try and play the role of God. I want to call the shots. You want to call the shots in your finances, in your relationships. We want to play the role of God. We want to make those calls. You and I are always trying to sit in the wrong seat. You know, we we do well to take the words of A.W. Tozer's to heart when he says, we are right when and only when we stand in right position relative to God And we are wrong so far and so long as we stand in any other position. What position are you standing in today? You sitting in the right seat or in the wrong seat relative to God? I mean, does your attitude reflect that of Jesus Christ or of someone who is trying to call all of the shots? Paul said, equality with God is not something to be grasped. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about surrender It's about losing your life so that you can find life in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7 again. It says that Jesus made himself nothing. Nothing means nothing. You know, here's Jesus. He had every right, but he gave up his position in heaven and the comforts of heaven. I mean, if anyone was deserving of special treatment, it's Jesus, but not the case with Jesus. I mean, the Son of God was willing to stoop and to wash the feet of his disciples. He was willing to take on the lowest of low positions at the time. He made himself nothing. Where can you and I find hope, you know, with an attitude like this? It's as one pastor said, I love this. He said, you know, God created the world out of nothing. And as long as you take on the attitude of Jesus, making yourself nothing every day, he can make something out of you. He can do that work in me. I mean, we run into trouble all the time when we start thinking that we're special or that we're the exception or that we're deserving of something. We want to rape God of the position that that belongs to him. But Paul says our attitude should be like that of Jesus who became nothing, 
He didn't make it about himself. It was about God. Jesus came to the earth and he took on the nature of a servant. And the Apostle Paul knew this sort of living and he was demonstrating it well, even from this uh, place of prison. And notice, uh, if you go back to Philippians 1, actually, if you go to the first verse there, you know, Paul introduces himself in this thank you letter to the Philippians. And you'll notice that he doesn't refer to himself as an apostle. He doesn't talk about his title. Instead, he said servant. It's the Greek word doulos. It means servant. In fact, you know, the word specifically describes one who is permanently devoted to do the will of another. And that's what a servant does. And that's what Jesus did for us. He made himself nothing so that he could permanently do, do the will of his Father in heaven. The fourth and final mind shift is this. Serving is not what I do, it's who I am. Serving is not what I do, it's who I am. I mean, think about that. I think about the difference that makes, even the change in perspective of such a statement, that serving is not just something I do, it's not something I sign up for, it's who I am. You know, I was really encouraged yesterday. Um, I stopped by and we had over 60 people that went through our network class uh, here at Genesis and great job to all those who participated and the leaders that were there. We had a bunch of people from our Carmel campus, our Noblesville campus, had a whole table of AU students. Uh, it was really cool as people came just with this hunger, you know, how did God create me, the purpose that he's given me. You know, God has gifted every single one of us. He's put these gifts inside of us that he wants us to use, and he's got a purpose for every life. You know, and what does it boil down to? You know, serving is not something I do, but it's who I am. I am called to take the attitude of Jesus Christ in anything and everything, you know, to live my life as a servant. That's how God created me. And again, this is a real mind shift, a change in the way that you see things. And I'm not here on this earth just to serve or to be served, but that I'm here as a servant. I represent the name of Jesus Christ and everything that I do. God has called me and even equipped me as a servant. I had a really big day uh, this past week, quite the kind of milestone for me as that I crossed over and I'm now officially a gold member at Starbucks. Uh, really pretty fascinating. You know, 30 drinks and you become a gold member. Uh, basically what it means is I'm willing to pay 3 or $4 for a cup of coffee, you know, once in a while. You know, I, I'll do just that. But uh, so I was really excited. I was sitting on 29 stars. All right, and you got to have 30. And I, 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 was, I, I got to Starbucks. I knew this was going to be the day, you know. And as I walked up and I opened up this really cool app on my phone to look at my 29 stars... I'm not kidding. Before my eyes, there were 29, and they disintegrated, and it showed one. They all went away in one moment. I mean, there are all these horrible things going on in the world today. This, this is right there. You know, I mean, tw- that's a lot of money invested into Starbucks coffee, and they're all gone. So I picked up the phone, and I called Starbucks. You know, I figured, you know, we're going to have this conversation right now. You know, where did my stars go? And so this young woman was on the phone, and, well, it was just pretty fascinating, the customer service. You know, and you often see that. I mean, great companies you know, have great customer service and great people. And so, you know, Mr. Moomaw, you know, we're going to correct this right away. In fact, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make you a gold member today. And again, it was just, you know, this, this woman, you know, was doing a great job of representing a great company and to get off the phone and go, wow, I, I feel a lot better about myself right now. I really am a special person. And uh, you know what, though? Here's the thing. You and I, as followers of Jesus... 
are called to take on this sort of an attitude. But it's not that I'm here just to serve. I'm here as a servant. Um, I am here to represent God, my Savior, Jesus Christ, and to make His name great in anything and everything that I do. It means for you that if you're a student, when you show up to school tomorrow or you walk onto your campus, whatever that may be, to, to take on the attitude of a servant. How, how does God want to use me today? What is this sort of attitude and living? What do these actions look like through me? I, it's for you when you go back to your neighborhood or your apartment complex this afternoon and somebody took your parking spot or whatever. What does, what does it mean for me to not just simply serve, but to be reminded that I am a servant and I represent the name of Jesus Christ and I am here on this earth to make his name great. It, it's what it means for you in your marriage right now to say that I'm not deserving of something. I, I don't have this right I'm not here just to serve my wife or my husband, but I'm going to take on the attitude of a servant in my marriage. You know, we had some parents that stood here on this stage just a moment ago, and what they're saying is they dedicate their children is, you know, they're, we're here, I'm here as a servant to raise my child to know and to love Jesus Christ. It's what it means to be a part of Genesis Church. I mean, my prayer for you and for me is that every single one of us would take on an attitude like this and say, you know what, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. And I am here to make his name great and to bring glory to my God in heaven. Uh, Paul wraps up this section this way. Verse 8, again, he's still talking about Jesus. He says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To review, how you think determines what you become. If you think like Jesus, you can learn to live like Jesus. It's not about me, it's about Him. I'm not here just to serve, but it's who I am. Which one is it for you today? Maybe just pick one. Even as you walk out of here right now, what's one that you might reflect on this week and think, you know what, I want to do some work with this. I want to ask God, what does this mean for me and for my attitude to be more and more like Christ every day? Let's pray. God, we pray that you would do that work in us. I'm reminded of that verse that says, you know, uh, the good work that you started in us with Jesus, that you'll carry it on to completion. And I pray that today is just another day part of that work but I realize that it could be the breakthrough for some it could mean everything for someone here today what's God saying to you right now what's God saying about your attitude is this world in your life right now is it about you or is it about him Is serving something that you do or is it who you are? I'm going to give you just a moment right now as we pray. You know, what's God speaking to you today? What's one step that you might be able to take today?
God, we thank you for your work in us. We thank you for your mercy and for your patience. God, we want to have the attitude of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that through your word and through your teaching and your guidance in us that that our attitude every day would give more and more way for our actions and the way that we love and treat others, the way that we talk to our spouse, the way that we love our kids, the way that we you know, reach out to friends around us, those that we you know, share a dorm room with right now or an apartment with, God. We want to have the attitude of Christ in all things. And I pray that you'd give us the power to do that. Thank you for these words today from the Apostle Paul, inspired by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.